All right, good evening. Good to see you guys out this evening. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And if you've been with us, which many of you have, and I'm very, very pleased to see how many people have been uh, coming out and listening to this, uh, this series in, in 1 Timothy and then following along on the online sermons. It's, it's been encouraging to me uh, to see everybody taking out those books that we got and everybody's learning it together. I believe it's not the only way to, do, to, to, to preach the Bible. I believe it is the best way, the way we do it. That we go consistently through the Word of God, and we go consecutively through the Word of God. And I think that that keeps us going in the right direction, and I think that's good for us, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Uh, every week, I'm not teaching you things I know, I'm teaching you things that I've learned this week. And so I'm, I'm learning as you're learning, and, and there's a passage in front of us tonight in First Timothy that I had to learn. And it was convicting, and it stepped on my toes, and I think it will probably yours as well. As we're going to look at tonight, First Timothy, something that was missing in the church. And, and this is something that's very important that was missing, something that they should have been doing that they was not doing. And I think it's something that could be even for us as a church, that it's something that, that we ought to be doing more of, that we don't do enough of. Uh, so this might be a, a sermon. I think the first chapter when he talked about preaching the gospel, I think that we... Uh, we're aimed at my, primarily at trying to fix all the other churches who aren't preaching the gospel, because we do a pretty good job at that. And then here we are in chapter 2, and it's correcting our church. And we said that from the outset, whatever this book, which is a how-to manual on church, however it corrected us, we need to be corrected. So we're going to do that tonight. There's going to be some correction for us, for Timothy, for that church here, but also for us as a church. So I'm going to ask that question, and I'm going to tell you what it is as we get started. What's missing in the church, and what was missing here, and what was missing, and what is missing in most churches across the world today is prayer. So we're going to look at that tonight. I think that's why Brandon chose that song that he did, uh, to singing about prayer tonight. Uh, so let's go ahead and we'll stand together, and we're going to answer that question, what's missing in the church. Uh, so I'm just going to read to you verses 1 through 3, and second, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and this is the Word of God. And aren't you thankful we have the Word of God that we can read from tonight? I was so encouraged by Johnny's Sunday School lesson this morning, talking about how wonderful it is that God has given us His Word in, in our language, and it's perfect, and it's inerrant, and it's infallible, and it's inspired, and it's sufficient, it's everything that we need, and it's sitting right here in front of us. What else would we want to be studying tonight? So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, and if I were you, I would underline first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good, and it is, I like the word acceptable there, it is well-pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And we want everything that we do in church to be pleasing or acceptable to God our Savior. And we pray that all the time. God, let what we do here be pleasing to you. That's the only criteria for what we do in church. And here in this passage, he gives us something that God says, this is well-pleasing to me. So we need to do this. This is what's missing in the church. Let's pray together. Father, uh, I was convicted by this passage this week. I even talked to Brandon about it earlier that this is something that, that hit me in the heart as a pastor that we don't do enough of and we need to do more of. Uh, I think sometimes we, we put prayer in, in the back burner. It's, it's just we're too busy to do, other, to do this. So God, I pray that you would convict not just me but all of us 
Now, we need to do more of this in the church. This doesn't just need to be something we do more of. It needs to be something that is a priority in our church. So God, help us to learn this tonight and to take correction well. I know that's hard for me. I know it's hard for many of us to take correction. But if, if we're not being corrected, we're not truly preaching the word of God. So help us, God, to be corrected tonight, that we would uh, be set right and go in the right direction with this. Help me to teach it. Help me to teach it with the right tone and the right heart. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I think we see, if, if you pay attention to churches like I do, even if you pay attention to our church, you'll find that the church today is incredibly busy. We do a whole lot of stuff. If you'll just listen to the announcements after church, when we stand up here and we say, okay, we got this and we got this and we got this going on, you can see that our church is incredibly busy. Or if you, if you get on our Facebook page and it's something that we, we post every single day, there's something new going on during the week of the church that we need to, to get, make you aware of, that you need to be a part of, that you need to help with. The church is, is busy. And it's not just our church. I think every church is, is in, at an incredible busy time of life. And I can give you just a few things that, that goes on in our church. We have meals of love. We're constantly asking you to bring food to, to help us with the meals once a month. We have a clothes closet once a week. We have a backpack program. We're bringing new food every single month. This month we've had pastor's appreciation, so I'm sure you've been getting bombarded with uh, do things for the pastor, and I really appreciate those things. I just got two new appreciation notes the, tonight, uh, two from no, two from my kids and one from Olivia, just telling them how much they appreciate me, and that's the kind of thing that just puts a smile on your face. Uh, we have fall festivals, we have trunk or treats, we have Christmas and all that comes with that. Soon we'll be decorating the church and I'll be asking you, come on out Saturday morning, we're going to decorate. You need to be here for this. We'll be hanging up the tree and putting ornaments on it. We'll be doing a cantata. We'll be doing a Christmas party. We'll be doing the Lord's Supper. And we're going to be doing very busy during Christmas. And then you have parades and you have Easter coming around where you do egg hunts. And then you get a week of vacation Bible school. And that is the busiest week in the history of weeks. A busy time. You have revivals and conferences and mission trips. I saw a church in Bigstone this week that they had a service just for the blessing of the dogs. <laughs> Bring your dog. We'll lay our hands on your dog. I don't know what in the world that is, but that's another busy activity. Maybe that's where some people are at tonight. They took their dog to the service. Churches have family nights. They feed football teams. I just went down the list of all these things that's going on, and it's a, it's a whole lot of things that the church is doing. We are incredibly busy. The church is, is doing a lot. But my question is, in all that activity that we're doing, is there something that we're missing? Is there something that we're not doing or that we're not doing enough of? And I think the answer is very clear that the church today is missing something that's more important than all these things I just added. Amen. That there's something that, that's missing in churches that would, uh, uh, is more important than meals. And there's nothing wrong with meals. It's more important than a clothes closet or a backpack program. It, it's more important than, and it's very important to get the pastor coffee on Pastor Appreciation Month. But there's something more important than getting the pastor coffee on Pastor Appreciation Month. There's something more important than Vacation Bible School. There's something so much more important than the, the blessing of the dogs, whatever that is. I think we're missing something in the church. I think the church has become so busy with all the activity that we've become too busy to pray. I believe that we've become so distracted that we've become the Martha and we've missed out on the necessary thing that Mary was doing, sitting at the feet of Jesus. I think we're missing something, and that's what Paul was telling Timothy here, that they're missing the same thing. I think it's so easy to overlook prayer 
Because we look at it as something on the side or something that's not that important or something that's not busy, not, a, not an activity. How often do you see in a church that they, they, they advertise prayer in the church as something that, that, that this is what our church does? We, we like to put it on the, on the back burner, but that's not what Paul's doing here. He started in chapter 1 and said, we're going to fix what's wrong in the church, and what's wrong in there was that they were twisting and distorting and, and getting the gospel wrong. So he, he fixed that in chapter 1, and now he turns to chapter 2, and he shifts to something he calls, first of all, you see that in verse 1. He, he's not so much talking to, to Timothy, the pastor here, as he is to the entire church. And Paul says, first of all, this is important. We've got to set this right. We've got to get this together. And then he goes on of 1 through 8, 8 verses on how the church ought to be praying. This was missing for them, and I think sadly it's missing for many churches today. We even see that, that, that when churches get so busy that they say, okay, we're going to have to take out a service. And what's the first service they take out? The Wednesday night prayer meeting. So we're seeing that. And this isn't so much about personal prayer. He's not talking about how you pray when you're in your closet at home. He's talking about how the church prays when it comes together. How they come together in, in corporate prayer as a body and pray together. There's all kinds of activity that's going on in this church at Ephesus. And he's telling Timothy, you need to set those things to the side and make prayer a priority in the church. So we need to do that. Paul calls us back to the main thing. Praying in the church. So we're going to look at that tonight. I want, to, I want to focus on and give attention to prayer. So what's missing in the church? And we're going to just look at three verses, three points. It's going to be a very simple passage. And, and, and I'm going to try to get every single word. Every, I, what, I, what I try to do, and you guys know this, is I'll take these three verses and I will, I will squeeze every little bit of truth I can out of it. I want every last drop. And that's what we're going to do this passage tonight. We're going to try to get everything that we can out of it. And my, my, my job here tonight is to exhort you and to exhort our church to pray more. So number one, we'll see it in verse one, the priority of prayer. Here we've got to see that the church must make prayer the priority. It says in verse one, and in the Greek it would actually start with, first of all, it's kind of twisted in the English. In the Greek he would say, first of all, I exhort... Therefore, so he starts with, with first of all, and, and in, in the Greek language, they, they would take the, whatever's at the, the, the start of the sentence because there was no underlying, underlining, there was no italics, there was no, no bold. So whatever's at the first of the sentence took the, the prominent position and would stand out as here's what I want you to pay attention to. So he's placing first of all at the very start of this chapter. This is the most important thing you'll get here. This is, this is, this is first. This is protos in the Greek. It is first in rank. It's, it's first in order. It's first and foremost on the list. Here's what I want you to do. So this is, uh, this is priority number one. And what would you say the church today would say is priority number one? If you're starting a church from scratch, and you're sitting down and, and, and you have your whole church gathered together, all those who's going to plant this church, and you, and you sit down and say, we've got to put all these things together, we're going to put everything in order, what's the, the most important thing that we're going to do? First of all, and they would, I, I would say there would be, in, in most churches today, 20 different things before they even got to prayer. But Paul tells Timothy here, this is first. This is to be the priority of the church. The first thing you do when you sit down, maybe even you say, before preaching, there's no power in preaching without the praying. 
So prayer is coming, first of all. Prayer is the, the engine behind the preaching. If you're not praying, you're not preaching. So he says, first of all, prayer must be a priority. It's not a time filler. It's not a transition from here to there. It's not something that, that we add on. Prayer is the priority of the church. Without prayer, you're just some kind of uh, club that's meeting. Prayer is what makes it a Christian meeting. We're going to God. Think about it. Acts 2 verse 42 when the church first began, it said that they continued steadfastly in the doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Four things they laid out at the very beginning. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. What you teach, how you fellowship, your Lord's Supper, and praying together. In Acts chapter 6, when, when the pastors of the church got too busy and they were taking care of the, the widows, they had to bring in deacons so that the pastors wouldn't be distracted from two things. you know what those two things were? From preaching and from praying. Billy Graham said that there's three keys to a powerful ministry. You know what those three things are? He said praying, praying, and more praying. Charles Spurgeon, you've heard me say this, that people would come from far and wide to his church and say, what's the secret of your success? How do you do what you do? And, and he stood up and he would preach. And after the service, he'd say, you want me to take you down and show you the, the, the key to all this? And he would take them downstairs into a room. And, and downstairs in that room, while he was preaching, there was men on their knees praying. Praying must be the priority. And we don't do it in churches today. How little praying there are in churches today. And then let's move on. First of all, I exhort, therefore. I love the word exhort. It's, it's, a, it's a word for pleading. I urge you. It's not a command. We, we saw that in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 1 where he, he commanded. He charged him. And then in verse 18 he said the same thing. I charge you. And that, that's almost a, a military command. That I'm, I'm telling you you have to do this. That's not what this word is. This word here is, a, is a, again a begging. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I, I plead with you, I, I urge you. This is a, a begging of them to do something very important. When you see that word exhort, think of a medic who has come upon a body who's barely alive, and that medic stands over the body, and he looks at the body, and he says, breathe, breathe, please breathe. That's what this is. This is Paul looking to Timothy and telling him he needs to do something as important as breathing to the body. You must pray. Please pray. Your life depends upon praying. Your ministry depends upon praying. Your preaching depends upon praying. Please pray. That's what he's saying here. Exhorting, urging, pleading, begging, pray. Why don't you pray? Again, like asking somebody to breathe. Just a few months ago, Hallie swallowed something in the floor and was choked on it. Steph picked her up out of the floor. She wasn't breathing. And she looked at her and she said, Breathe. Breathe. That's the kind of urgency that Paul's going at Timothy with. But he's telling them to pray. J. 
J.C. Ryle said prayer is the mightiest weapon that God has placed in our hands. And we don't do it. This is not something that he's saying take it or leave it. We must make prayer the necessity of the church. The most powerful and productive thing that a church can do is pray. The Holy Spirit moves and acts as we pray. You, 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 you understand that? Mountains move as we pray. Hard hearts are softened as we pray. Enemies are converted as we pray. Nations are revived as we pray. Maybe we ought to do less complaining about our nation and more praying for our nation. This is no small thing. It should be the priority of the church. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, you pray. Second, I want to show you the pattern of prayer. Because Paul just doesn't look at Timothy and say, oh, pray! He says, well, here's how you do it. He shows him the church must follow this pattern for prayer. And I, I like this. This is how the church ought to be praying. And he doesn't just leave us to say, okay, pray however you want. Don't you love that about the Bible? Most people are just trying to make things up as they go in the church. But Paul says here to Timothy, here's how you do it. Here's the, the pattern to follow. Here's how to pray. So as we gather, Paul gives us specifics on how to pray. And he gives us four words. And I think it's easy to remember. If you can remember the word, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. If you, if you can remember the word, I think that's right. I, I had to, yeah, spit. <laughs> Olivia liked that. Olivia, remember the word spit. And that'll teach you how to pray. Look at it. It says supplications, S, prayers, P, intercessions, I, and thanks, T. So you can just easily remember, how's the church supposed to pray? We pray like we spit. And I'll just go down through these words because I think they're all, uh, I, I read a commentary this week that said they're all just synonyms. They're all the same thing. He's just using the same word four times. But he's not. Each one of these words are important. God doesn't put in filler words. And, and I, I think I understand exactly the order that they're in. Watch this. First one in our spit <laughs> is supplications. You say, what's the supplication? Supplication is where prayer starts. Supplication is a need. Every prayer starts with a need. There's always a need that drives the prayer. There's always something that drives us to our knees. There's always something that, that it gets the desire going in our heart, whether it's a, a sickness or somebody needing to be saved or, or some issue in my life. That need is deep down within us. It's a supplication. That's, that's why we pray. There's a need. So it starts with a need. And then that need goes to God in prayer. Do you see the word prayer? That's the second word. You say, what's prayer? Prayer is, is it's, a, it's a term used, sacred words. It is a, is a term that, that is uh, something offered in the presence of God. That it's something that we, we are taking this to God. So you see, supplications is a need that we have, and prayers is the God that we go to. You with me there? We have a need, we take it to God. We have a supplication, we pray. And then intercessions. I hope you guys are understanding that. There's a need, we take it to God, and we intercede. This isn't a, a need of mine. This is a need of somebody else's. I'm interceding for them. I'm the, the go-between for them. 
As God is, as Christ is our intercessor in heaven, now we are an intercessor for somebody who has a need, and we take it to God, and we intercede on behalf of whatever that need is. The church ought to be praying for others' needs. So we intercede. I love the word intercede. It's not a lawyer term. When we think of Jesus being our mediator, and he's going to say that in a few verses, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But that word intercessor is not a, a law term that, that I'm the guilty party and, and God is the judge and, and we're the lawyer in the go-between that's representing them. Well, this word intercessor is to actually get into to their skin and to feel what they feel and to suffer the way they suffer. That's how the church ought to be praying for people. That I'm jumping into their skin and I'm understanding their need and I'm sympathizing with them. That I feel for them. That I'm praying for them the way I would pray for myself. That I'm praying for them the way I'm, I would pray for my own kids. That I'm praying for them the way that I would pray for my mom and dad. That I'm praying for them the way that I would pray for my wife. I feel it. I know what they're going through. That's what that word means. It brings the heart into the prayer. So we have a need, supplications. We have prayers that we take it to God and we intercede on behalf of others and we always bring thanks with it. That whatever the answer is, we still are thankful to God. That we always, with, with, always with thanksgiving. Do you see that? Always giving thanks. So let's put it together, those four words. Taking a need to God on behalf of others with thanks. That's how the church ought to be praying. And let me add another one. Who ought to be doing the praying in the church? Again, this, this isn't a personal thing. This isn't you and your prayer closet. This is how the church, when they meet, ought to be praying. It ought to be S-P-I-T. It ought to be supplications and prayers and intercessions with thanksgiving. How the church ought to pray. And who's to be doing the praying in the church? Look at verse 8. I will therefore that men do the praying in the church. Everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And you say, well, that, that, that's just a, a general mankind. No, it's not. Because in verse 9 it says, and in like manner also, women. So in the church, the men ought to be doing the praying. And they ought to be, again, back to our order, supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving thanks. This is how we ought to be praying in the church. So who are we praying for? This is again, this is under the, the same heading of him giving us the, the specifics or, or the details or the, the pattern of prayer. And he says, here's who we're praying for. So he told us how to pray. We're, we're going to pray with supplications and prayers, intercessions and, and giving thanks. And we're going to be, the men are going to be doing the praying and lifting up holy hands. And who are we going to be praying for? It says in, at the end of verse one, everybody. <laughs> all men. I, I love that. You're going to find that word all, all over the place in this passage. It's everywhere that you ought to be praying for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. That we may live a peaceful life in all godliness. And you see, you want to see that. So we're to be praying for all men. That's a, a general term. That's, that's for 
This isn't for every single member of the human race. The church shouldn't be gathering and saying, okay, let's, we've got a prayer list. Let's pray for every human that's on the face of the earth. We'd be here all day long. This all means, and again, this all doesn't mean all right here. This all means without bias. I believe that there was people in the church at this time who were, were taking and praying for a certain kind of people and, and not praying for a, a, another kind of people. They were leaving some people out. It's like the church today does. I think we'll, we'll pray for those who agree with us on certain things. You agree with me theologically? I'll pray for you. You agree with me politically? I, if you're, if you're going to vote for the Republicans or, or for the Democrats, I'll vote, I'll pray for you as long as you're on the, the same aisle as me. But I'm not going to pray for anybody else. He's saying here, no, that's not what the church does. We pray for all men. We don't leave anybody out. We don't limit our prayers. I don't think they were praying for all men. And when he says pray for all men, he's saying pray for all men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. You pray for them all. You don't leave anybody out. There's nobody beyond your prayers. That's the general. Not just for your own family and friends. Not just for the ones that agree with you. Pray for everybody. Amen. And then he adds a specific group, which I think is the, the, the key to this. This is who they, they wasn't praying for. This is who they were leaving out. But specifically, you could, you could say here, that these prayers be made for all men, but specifically for kings and for all that are in authority. Pray for those who are over you. For them, it was a man named Nero. You've heard me talk about Nero. He was a type of Antichrist. He was the emperor of Rome at that time. He was the cruelest of cruel maniacs. He, was, he would execute Peter and have Paul's head cut off after 2 Timothy's written. He used Christians as torches for his parties. You've heard me say that. He would cover them in oil, light them on fire, and he would have parties in his palace at night while Christians burned all around him and, and made light for his parties. He killed his own mother because he thought she was after his throne. He killed his brothers, plural, because he thought they were after his throne. This is the cruelest of cruel, the, the worst maniac that you could ever imagine. He is as anti-Christ or anti-Christian as any leader in the history of the world. You couldn't have a worse leader than Nero. There's people in the church that Timothy is pastoring who have had their loved ones killed by Nero. So when they came to church and they began to pray, they would not mention the name Nero to pray for him. We hate that man. He killed my husband, or he killed my child, or he killed my son. He is persecuting Christians. My husband was a torch at his last party. We refuse to pray for this man. I bet they despised him. To use a southern term, I bet they hated his guts. And Paul says, I, I, I bet they spoke evil of him. I bet, I bet the only prayer that they prayed for him was imprecatory. But Paul looks at him and says, pray for them too. Pray for your leaders. And he uses a term here, and all those that are in authority. A broad term. So that they won't look at him and say, 
Even Nero? Yes, even Nero. In the church, when you meet, pray for your authorities. And I think this hits us close to home. We don't have Nero over us. We have leaders over us who we don't agree with. I think you would say amen to that. I think we have leaders over us who we don't approve of. I think we have leaders over us who are doing anti-Christian things. I think we have leaders over us who are uh, putting laws in place that are, that are bringing about some of the most ungodly things that our nation has ever seen. I think you're seeing leaders over us. I saw a commercial even today as I was watching TV. We got a, a governor race and, and one come out and, and it, I've sponsored this ad and it was an ad uh, 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 that was wanting abortion in Virginia. And I'm sitting there, I don't approve of that. I, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. I think abortion is an abominable act. I don't agree with it. I think we're living under leaders who abuse their power. I think we're living under leaders who it's obvious they don't love Christ. They will call themselves Christians and, and do the most anti-Christian things that you could ever imagine. I believe we're living under leaders who, who don't have an, any idea what the Word of God says. I believe we're living under leaders who are cruel and ungodly. And what are we to do as a church when we're living under leaders like this? And it probably won't get better. And we as a church, we don't despise them. We don't criticize them. We pray for them. Amen. I know that's not popular to say, but the church is not a lobbying body. We are not the, you may not know what this is, but the Southern Baptists have a ERLC, a group that they spend millions of missions money on send them to Washington, D.C. to lobby for their causes. We don't lobby, we pray. Amen. You have the, the woke Christians today who think that we'll win our causes by protesting. God isn't pleased by our protests. He's pleased by our praying. Amen. There is more power in praying than any protest that you'll ever have. Let the rest of the world go and protest and burn things down, but we as a church will pray. Amen. Let everybody else lobby and send their, their representatives to, to Washington, D.C. And, and make deals and, and be corrupt and, and do all that they're going to do up there. Here we pray. That's what we do. We don't form coalitions like the moral majority. We pray. Prayer is the most powerful weapon in the hand of the church. And when you look and say, no, 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 we have to do this and we have to do that. We have to, do, we have to take action in the midst of this world. I say that the greatest action that we can take is praying. When you say things like that, no, 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 we've got to take action. You're saying that you don't even believe in the power of prayer to be the action that God uses. Prayer is God's way to remove tyrants. Do you believe that? It's the truth. Prayer is God's way to change hearts. We can pray for our leaders and, and we, we don't know. He, he may, in, in, his, in, his, in His sovereign power, save our governor and, and save our president and, and save His cabinet. Who knows what God can do with prayer? A little church in Big Stone Gap has the power at their hands to change the rulers of the world. And we don't do it. We lobby. We protest. 
Prayer is God's way to alter decisions. I believe in the power of prayer. God can intervene in the affairs of men. God can use prayers to influence kings and queens and dictators and President Biden himself. I believe we've lost the belief in the power of prayer. And I believe the answer to a changing to changing a nation is prayer. If the church would get back to praying and preaching, who knows what we could do? I believe the answer to changing a church is not new ministries, not new programs, but is going back to the priority of praying and preaching. I think one of the greatest things that our church did during the pandemic, and, and you, you can disagree with me if you want to, but it was I, I felt like we were and I was just so busy jumping from one ministry to the next and one season to the next, and the pandemic slowed us down and said, you only got two things that you can do right now. You can pray and you can preach. That's all we did, and God blessed it. And you say, Josh, you've been slow to bring all those things back because I don't want to get so busy that we forget to pray and to, to preach. Those are the two things, 1 Timothy 1 and 2, preaching and praying. I believe if you want to change a church, you pray and you preach. Bring in a new pastor. What are you going to do to, to, to turn things around? Well, I'm going to have a blessing of the dogs. <laughs> That'll bring in the dog lovers. <laughs> I'm going to pray and I'm going to preach. I saw a church online today that had on their sign, Sunday, noon, yoga. <laughs> We'll bring in the yoga people. No, we'll pray and we'll preach. Amen. The power behind the preaching is the praying, and we'll do both, and God will do what He does with it. Amen. I believe you want to change a town. And I think Big Stone Gap needs to be changed. It needs a revival. How's it going to come? Is it going to come as a church that has new children's ministries? Is it going to be a church that has an Easter egg drop where we fly a helicopter over top and we drop 18,000 eggs? That'll change the world. <laughs> I believe he's having a good time tonight. <laughs> Nothing wrong with an Easter egg hunt, but it ain't going to change a town. Well, we'll, get a, uh, we'll get a parade, and we'll have a float, and we'll win a, a first place trophy. <laughs> we'll set it back there near the printer so we'll remember it 20 years from now. Do you remember that float? No, we'll pray and we'll preach, and, it'll, and God will use it to turn the world upside down. I believe the answer to, to souls being converted, saved, born again, is praying and preaching. Amen. So we've seen, and I'm going to move on. I told you this would be short and quick, which usually means it'll be long and tough. We've seen the priority of prayer. We've seen the pattern that He's given us. How to pray and who to pray for. And now I want to show you the, the purpose of prayer. And he gives us that in the end of verse 2 and verse 3. 
The church must understand the purpose of prayer. Here's the, the goal. And I, I can even go into verse 4, but I don't want to preach that verse tonight. But I want to show you what prayer does. I've already talked about it a little bit. But the whole point of us, us a purpose of us praying here is, is in verse, at the end of verse 2. So that we, do you see that? I love that. This is the result of prayer. That when we do this, and we, we, we have supplications and prayers and intercessions, and we give thanks, and we do it for all men, not just a few men, and we do it for kings and all that are in authority, here's what will happen as a result of that. Here's what's going to come if we're a praying church. And I like that. It has something for us, something for God, and something for the lost world. You with me? As we pray, it has a, a, a purpose for us, a purpose for God, and a purpose for the lost world. Now, now watch this. The first one's for us. That we. You see that? This is so easy. That we. You can uh, circle we. This is for us. Olivia, it would be we. <laughs> that we. What, what's going to be for us? That we. This is what we want. This is all we want. May lead a peaceful and quiet life I love that we're not after lower taxes that'd be great but ultimately all Christians want to do is live a quiet and peaceful life we don't want lower gas prices well, we do but ideally that's not what we're after we just want to be able to live a quiet and peaceful life that's all that we want and, and do it in, in godliness and, and honesty and, and be dignified and, and to live the Christian life in peace without any, any trouble. That, that quiet and, and peaceful life means no trouble on the inside and, and no, no turmoil on the outside. That we can just live our lives in quiet and peace. That's all I want. I've said that at my house before. All I want is some peace and quiet. That's all Christians want. We want peace and we want quiet. That's all that we're asking for. As we pray... We become free to live out our faith without fear of any persecution or consequences. That's all that we want. We don't want Nero to make it hard on us. We don't want the government, President Biden, to make it hard on us. We just want the freedom to live out our faith as God has told us to do it. That's all that we're asking for so that we can go to church. That's all that we want. Don't try to stop us from going to church. If you try to stop us from going to church, there won't be peace and quiet because we're going to go to church. You try to stop us from preaching, it's going to be trouble. We'll, we'll, we'll still preach. You try to tell us we can't share the gospel, there's going to be trouble. We're going to keep sharing the gospel. The, God, the things that God has told us to do, we're going to do those things whether the government tries to stop us or not. So we want a government and leaders that will allow us, let us, or give us a, an opportunity just to live in peace and quiet. To live out our faith. To not be constantly persecuted and in trouble. It shows what the church is. I love this. This is a great point for us. The church doesn't, the church isn't a group of agitators. We're not troublemakers. We're not disruptors. We're not rabble rousers. We're not enemies to the state. We're not insurrectionists. We're not trying to overthrow the government. We're not that preacher, preacher Greg Locke on the internet who's trying to be anti-government. That's not who we are. We just want to live in peace and quiet. That's all we want. We want to mind our own business. We want to work. We want to live godly lives. So we pray. We need to pray that today. 
America has been a, a beacon of freedom for us. And we need to pray, God, give us leaders that will just let us live in peace and quiet. Go to work, love our families, have church, share the gospel, preach. Just let us live in peace and quiet, God. That's all that we want. I love that. That's all I want. I, I can say that. I don't want to fight. I don't want to, I don't want to have to, to, to rebel against the government as they throw out new mandates and all these different things that they're going to do. I don't want that. So how do we stop that? Again, it's not protesting. It's not lobbying. It is getting down on our knees in, in church on Sunday and praying for all those who have authority over us because we believe in the power of prayer. That's good. Christians just want to be at peace. That's who we are. We're the best citizens that a nation will ever have. They may hate what we stand for. And many people do. We take some hard stances as a church. And you guys, you may not. You say, I don't do that. By coming to this church, you take the same stance as this church. And when you go out there and you say, I'm a member or a part of that church or serve in that church, or you share the sermons on Facebook, you're saying, I'm with that guy and I'm with the Word of God. And people get mad. I had some people sending me messages just a couple weeks ago. So mad about what we stood for. So mad at me. They're going to come down here and disrupt our services, they said. Wanting to fight on, on Facebook. Sending me private messages. And I, I, I was being, so I said, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? I said, I don't want to fight. I just want to be at peace and quiet. I'm just want to send back, you can come to the service. We'll pray with you. We'll share the word of God with you. We'll be as kind to you as, you, as you, you'll ever find. You may not like what we stand for, and that's fine. If we're going to get in trouble, it should be what we stand for, and not that we're hateful as all get out. We just want peace and quiet. And I've seen that even for our church and in our little town. The harder the stance we take, the more people get agitated, but when they get around us, they're like, I can't help but like this dude. He's so nice. They're so nice. That's what we want. Right. We're not a threat. <laughs> we just want peace and quiet to live in dignity and godliness and honesty. That's all we want. So praying, get this, this is so good. Praying helps us live at peace. War might come, but as we pray, God, I'm not trying to fight. I'll take a stand where I need to take a stand and I pray that you'd give me the freedom here just to live a peaceful, quiet life in all godliness and honesty. That's what we want. Two, I said that, it's good for us, we. Olivia, we said we, right? That's what we said. And And then it's good for God. Do you see that? It's good for us that we pray this way. And then when we pray this way, it says in verse three, it's good. And it's pleasing to God. So not only is it good for us that it gives us peace, but it pleases God when the church prays like this. I love that. It's good. It's prayer, again, for leaders, for those in authority. It's good. It's acceptable. It's well-pleasing to God. And I said at the beginning, this is the criteria for everything that we do in church. Is it well-pleasing to God? And I love that he gives us this. He says, Josh, when you pray like this in church, I'm pleased with it. So we pray like this in church. 
We make this the priority. God's pleased with this. He's pleased with us praying for all men. He's pleased with, pleased with us praying for our leaders. He's pleased with us praying that lost people will be saved. So we do that and God is pleased by it. God is more pleased with our prayers than our protests. He's more pleased with our prayers than He is our Facebook posts. <laughs> praying for the lost is pleasing to God. Praying for our leaders is pleasing to God. Why? And, and I said I wouldn't preach verse 4, but just, just hang on with me for a second. I'm going to preach it next week. Or not next week, the week after. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God. Who is God our Savior? I love that. It's God's very nature to be a saving God. And when we pray for the lost, we are tuning our hearts into God's heart. The nature of the church ought to match the nature of God who is a saving God. And when we pray for our leaders, and when we pray for the lost... We are tuning our heart to a God who is Savior. You need to know that, that, that God is a saving God. And it pleases Him when we pray for the lost in church. I like that. We put ourselves in tune with God's nature and God's heart. It's like sometimes you can get, nobody does this anymore. You don't have radios. We, I was driving down the road in my car the other day. I don't have satellite radio in my car. And all the kids were wanting to push buttons and go, 90's on 9, 80's on 8, 70's on 7, Beatles, you know. Why, why doesn't your car have that, Dad? Why do you have to turn this dial to go to 98.5 or 99 this? And what is all this, Dad? What, are we going back to the 70's? And I said, here's what we have to do, kids. You have to turn the dial, because you turn to some and they'd say, what is that? It's out of tune. Turn it just to, to this, what, what is that? This is so great. We used to have 92.1 oldies. It was awesome. Just turn it, and you get in tune with that radio station. And then it comes loud and clear into your car. You would have thought we went back in time for them. A radio? <laughs> and that's what you say, what are you telling us that for? Because sometimes a church can get out of tune with God. And it can be... <laughs> the blessing of the dogs. <laughs> yoga. <laughs> Come Sunday morning, bring your yoga mats. <laughs> But when we turn it and start praying for our leaders and for the lost, God says, you're in tune with me now. And it's coming in loud and clear. Because that's who his nature is. And what nature is that? Look at verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his nature. And it goes right back up to that word all. Verse 1, who be made for all men. For all those who are in authority. God wants all kinds of people to be saved. Not just those who agree with you. Amen. You with me? So when we. There it is. This is so good. When we pray like this. We live at peace. God is pleased. And I believe the lost will be saved. 
We might not be seeing revival and reformation and awakening in America because the church isn't praying for it. We've got all kinds of activity and people think the blessing of the dog is going to bring people in. We'll bless their dog. I hope that church doesn't watch this sermon tonight. <laughs> they think that's going to work, but you know what will work better? Getting on your knees in your church service and praying for lost people. And I believe God would save all kinds of people when we start praying for all kinds of people. I'll preach verse 4 next week. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. You see that? His one Savior for all the world. Amen. Verse 7, whereunto I am ordained to pre a preacher and an apostle, and I speak the, the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. It's a whole passage on praying. So I'll close with this tonight. I beg you, I do. Like a, a, a medic standing before a, bo a body that's barely breathing. I beg you, let's pray. Yeah. Let's make it a priority. Let's pray for all men. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for the lost. And as we do, let, let's just aim to live a quiet and peaceful life. That's all we want to do. So I urge you, I beg you, like I was begging people to come to Christ this morning, and I have no problem begging people. I believe Paul would beg people to come to Christ. And God uses that, the urges of men to bring people to Christ. But I stand here tonight before believers, and, and I, I look at you and I say, let's pray. Please pray. I urge you to pray. It's a, the breathing of the church. It's, it's what we do. And if we do anything else in the church, we'll preach and, and we'll pray. And I believe when we do that, that God will work powerfully through it. And that God will save all kinds of people. And most importantly, at the end of the day, God will be pleased with it. Because that's really all that matters. So out of all the activities that we could be doing in the church, and I'm not trying to cancel any of the activities, we won't be doing any blessings of the dogs or any yoga mats. We'll keep doing what we do. All these things that I'm, I've laid out here in the, in the first page of my notes about 45 minutes ago. We'll keep doing meals. We'll keep doing the clothes closet and our backpack program. And we'll keep appreciating the pastor. We can't forget that one. We'll do a fall festival next year, and it's going to be great. We'll do homecoming. I said, I told Brandon the other day, I want to do homecoming uh, out in town next week, next year at the Throw the Lonesome Pine, and we'll be outside, and we'll be on the stage, and we'll have crowds of people there. I want to do it. It'll be busy. You guys are going to work so hard. Christmas will be so busy. You guys will be begging me for a break. We'll have parties and cantatas and decorating. I can't promise you an Easter egg hunt with a helicopter. I'll throw some up in the air too. We'll keep doing stuff. But prayer will be our priority. Prayer and preaching will be our priority. And I believe that God will bless it and God will be pleased with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage and correction for us tonight. And that's what it was for me, a correction. 
God, you know I'm busy. I am on the go all the time, nonstop. Work hard down here. And God, I, I confess that I've been too busy. And we as a church have been too busy. We just don't have enough time to pray. We try to get in a few songs and a long sermon and we don't pray. And God, I'm sorry for that. When we do pray, it's, it's something that's just transitioning from here to there. And God, I'm sorry for that. We've not been doing the praying that we ought to be doing. So God, I, I pray that you help us make that a priority. We would see there's a great need. We would take it to you. And we'd pray for the lost. And I do pray, God, for the lost in our family. I've got lost loved ones that I, I desire to see saved. And I pray that you'd save them. That's your nature, God, our Savior. There's people in this town that need to be saved. Our town is going in the wrong direction. And I pray that you'd turn it around. Our nation is going in the wrong direction. And I pray that you'd turn it around, God. I pray for President Biden that you would save him. I know that people say you're not supposed to judge people, but your word says we'll know them by their fruit. And the fruit of his actions is he's an unbeliever. And I pray that you would save him. I pray that you'd save his wife. I pray that you'd save his kids and grandkids. I pray that you'd save Vice President Harris. I pray that you'd save people on his cabinet. There's some people on that cabinet, God, that I would easily complain about. And I pray that you'd change their hearts. That you would uh, help them to, to make right decisions. I pray for our governor. There's plenty of places I don't, dis I don't agree with him on. God, I think he said at one time that he would abort a baby that was uh, born alive. That's awful. Evident that he's not saved. I pray that you change his heart, Governor Northam. I pray for this upcoming election between these two men. I don't know where either one of them stand with you. I probably have a good idea. But I pray that you'd give us a godly governor that would make right decisions, that would lead our state in the right direction. I pray for our mayor. We've got a town council vote coming up. I pray that you put the right people in the right place there. And I hope those council members know that there's a church here in Big Stone Gap that is praying for them. And God, we might even need to send them a letter saying we prayed for you tonight. So God, I pray that you'd bless our leaders and help them to make right decisions. I pray that you'd give us as Christians in this town, in this state, and in this nation Help us to live a quiet and peaceful life with all dignity and honor. That's all we want. So God, please help us to, to make this the priority, to do more of this in church. And God, I know, I know, long prayers don't make for popular services. I know that. But we're not out to please the people in the pews. We're out to please the God in heaven. So I pray that you are pleased, God, by our preaching and our praying today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.